0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 118 of the MTG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Collins, how was SCG Atlanta? Pretty phenomenal. It went okay, huh? It it went all right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, Dallas happened. And mm-hmm. that was, like, probably the best Lotus Box event that we've had. Yeah. And I didn't think that we were going to top it for a while. Yeah. Until this past weekend, where instead of three Lotus Box members in top eight, we had four in top eight mm-hmm. and three in top four. Just... That's absurd. Yeah. Team deck. Yeah. Just kind of brilliant Abe Corrigan, Zanseid, collaboration. Yes. On Midrange yeah. Urza. Input yeah. from everybody, including Lee. Really just kind of broke Modern a little bit. Honestly, I think we did. I think that every once in a while, you know that you have the best deck in the room, not close. Yeah. And often when that's happening, everybody else is playing it. Mm -hmm. But this time, only our patrons were playing it. Yeah, no, I kept (laughs) hearing stories of one of the Lotus Box guys getting paired up against a Lotus Box patron. Running the Urza mid-range deck. It happened to multiple of us. Yeah. Uh, in the last round of day one, I played against a guy who was, like, the first thing he said, he was like, yeah, this is the best $3 I ever spent was joining your Patreon, <laughs> because now I have this deck, and I'm crushing everybody with it, and he was X1 going into the last round. That's paired against me. That's perfect. Yeah. Yep. That's, I mean, that's exactly what you want, like... There's nothing that feels better than when you make content and send it out, and then people just actively use it and mm-hmm. succeed because of it. Like, it felt really good. That's sure. really cool. We played, I'm going to call it mid-range Urza. They called it Simic Warza It's really stream. just Jund, though, right? It's, yeah, it's just better Jund. It's blue Jund. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, just like mid rangey y cards. We're playing Goose into Oko, just mm-hmm. like everybody else is in Standard. And it turns out <laughs> you just can't get away from it. <laughs> nope. How many how many Okos were in that top eight? It was... The, the four of you each had four. Ely had three. Yeah. So that's nineteen out of a out of a possible thirty two Okos. And there was a Death Shadow. The other two decks also so had there's Okos in them. There's Death Shadow, which was not running it, and then there was Austin on Amulet Titan. He had a couple of Okos in the sideboard, and right? And then I think it was the. Devoted Druid player who I'm sure had Oco also had, right. So there okay. were Okos in seven of the eight decks in this top eight. Huh? How about that? Crazy. <laughs> it's, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of wild. I, I wonder why that would be. Yeah. Um. Oko also. Let me see. I wrote. I wrote down. uh Somebody tweeted this out. Okay, in the standard MCQW, Oko was in twelve of the top sixteen decks. Mm-hmm. It was the winning in the winning decks of the Vintage, Legacy, and Pioneer challenges. Uh huh. And it was the entire open top eight. Yep. That's the best card in Magic right now. It yeah, not close. It's just completely broken, and we're just in for a wild ride until they ban it out of each format consecutively. Yeah, just like going back until it's restricted. Uh, like this, it's not even a joke, is it? I think that eventually it will be banned in all formats. Yeah, or restricted. I I feel like it can survive the ban hammer in Legacy. Legacy's yeah, it's probably the the worst in Legacy if. If bonkers three mana spells like True Name Nemesis are allowed, to are fine, sure. you know, yeah. are like a two of that you kind of struggle to work into your mana base, Yeah, then I think Oko can be okay. But yeah, I, I think it just cannot last very long in standard. And standard <clears throat> is just the worst it's been in a long time mm-hmm. right now. And it's just because of Oko. Yeah. And a little bit of Nyssa. But Nyssa was, like, manageable before. It right. costs 5 mana. It's fine. I've never seen a Nyssa in a creature matchup now that dies the turn you cast it to combat damage. Because their board is cluttered with 3-3s. Three yeah, and that that was the <laughs> thing, is when with the old Bant decks from several months ago, right. from, from pre-Eldrain, yeah. like, you'd turbo out your Nyssa, but if they were playing, like, Gruul, they could they might have the col- the Collision Colossus on that turn and just run you over, kill the <laughs> Nyssa. But yeah. that's just not an option... With four Okos in the deck, yeah, I was <laughs> laughing at that as well. Thanks, that <laughs> one. Colin is wearing... maybe I should um, maybe I should like uh, take some like Sharpie and like because you can get honk out of this, right? Just put a big old H right here, cover up the eye. Is this gonna be our first Grandcast shirt? should we make honk shirts just, just honk shirts yeah yeah we need to do that before anybody else does because yeah
1: it's clearly i'm, a great I'm gonna idea. get on that honestly
0: okay. alan that is a great idea yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna get some honk shirts made okay. i'm gonna get some art with some some mtg grindcast goose action Ooh, and, all right um also we are definitely going to so upcoming stuff mm-hmm. for i guess this is an opportunity to thank our patrons <laughs> uh thanks to michael s Josh G., our newest patrons. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast because I'm going to talk for a second about the cool stuff that we got coming. Playmats are coming. I am going to get them printed out very soon and get those sent out. The the art is incredibly cool. I can't wait to play with these. Yes. We also have pins and stuff and tokens. Definitely going to work on the honk shirt because (laughs) I think that that is a great idea. Um, We also are about to get some sweet tokens ordered uh i really am excited we i felt awful this weekend because i forgot to bring a bunch of construct tokens with me oh yeah and yeah, yeah. everybody <laughs> and just constructs. needed constructs <laughs> yeah, i came up to you and i was like hey do we have any construct tokens? and you know nope. i usually just <laughs> keep a box of them in my bag in case yeah. we need to hand them out and i just didn't have them this time so <laughs> i will not forget <laughs> them for the invitational yeah for good. sure we will need them again we're I gonna need sure. them um, but I'm also going to get some food tokens made up. And the yeah. idea for this one is you and me as gingerbread men baked holding hands together. I was going to ask as... if we're going to get some uh, some food tokens because yeah. we are snacks. We, we are definitely <laughs> snacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it looks like food tokens are going to be just as evergreen as construct tokens ended up being. So I'd like to keep this streak of like useful tokens alive. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah no, uh, there was this hilarious moment in the top four where I was playing against Jeremy and turn one he uh, he's on the play so he just fetch shocks mm-hmm. and uh, you, you know when I ask like what he's going to with life total, he's like I'm going to go to 17 and you know what that means and I just go honk <laughs> and the head judge loses it he's like, he's, he just loses it because you know there's I know the deck well enough to know that there's only one reason you're going to shock on turn one yep. it's, and it's to play a, a gilded goose right. so I just go honk <laughs> then... the other one drop is astrolabe which you cannot play off of a breeding pool so <laughs> yeah so that was a good moment. That's really funny. Yeah. So I guess why don't you just talk a little bit? I mean, you made yep. the finals of this tournament. I did. Um, finals number three. That's pretty good. Not that's bad. pretty sweet. And you are yep. you are climbing up that the list that Nick tweets out of mm-hmm. two day open. I really eight. am. Yeah, it's you're getting up there. <laughs> yeah so that's very cool yeah I remember when he first started doing that I was at like four and I was like man I really got to get another one to get on and I like so excited to get my fifth and now I'm I'm like on and then I was really excited to get on the left left side side. yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 and I'm like halfway up the left side it's just great it's great it's good time the tournament was incredible and honestly I have to give major props to all of my teammates I like even though I had the best finish of you know of all of my teammates Mm -hmm. I, A, didn't put in the most work on the deck, and B, was carried by the deck and my teammates throughout the event. I got two concessions in the tournament from, <laughs> from Zan and Abe, who were both locked for qualifying for the PC, so they scooped me because I they didn't need the points. And Oh, I thought Jeremy scooped you in. Jeremy, well, uh, so yeah, that was early in the tournament, and then oh, I got paired against Jeremy okay. in the last round. I was X3. He was x one mm-hmm. so he scooped me as yeah. well okay um so I, yeah I, I got three concessions so so definitely got some help there yeah and my teammates are just incredible like they you know they designed like zan and abe thought of and then designed this deck that was just very clearly broken yep i played medium minus over the course of the, <laughs> honestly like i i don't think i played very well well i don't think you're um, alone in that either because i was just talking to zan and mm-hmm. he was like, "Yeah, we had the best deck in the room, but I don't think any of us, except for maybe Edgar, mm-hmm. played." Edgar to their and ability. B- felt like felt pretty good about their yeah. their play. Yeah, um, I played against Edgar in the tournament. And he t- crushed me. I think I mean, he that's played much better than me. Normal stuff. Edgar's just like <laughs> top three technical players on the yeah, tour. Yeah, no, like, for sure, very clearly. Um, you know, so I, I felt like I played like you know not that great, but the deck just carried. Mm-hmm. So I really attribute my result in this tournament to. My teammates more than anything else. Yeah. So I mean, that's the benefit um, of having such a strong team. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, and, you know, I get to I get to ride that, and you can too if you join our page. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, seriously. I mean, the tournament was kind of just a dream the whole time. I didn't feel really that close to losing to anybody except for the mirror or devoted druid. I played against on round ten on camera and got annihilated. That's a bad matchup. <laughs> you know, game one kind of played out. How I would assume game one would play out, where you know he just combos me, and I didn't have a hand prepared for that because yeah. I, I didn't know what the matchup was. And I'm sure game one is atrocious. I, I don't think I you don't have play, the tools. I just game don't play one removal spaces, right, yeah. right? Um A couple of engineered explosives is not going to mm. cut it. And then game two, I I looked at my opening hand, and I had, Astrolabe Emery, two lands, two fatal pushes, and a Drown in the Lock. So That's... I'm like, all right, perfect. Yeah, we're doing it. Um, all the removal in the deck in this hand, so. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, honestly, it was perfect. So I, I played my Emory out on turn two, like Astro Lab into Emory. My opponent went Dork into to bounce my Emory. I was like, that's kind of annoying, but mm-hmm. it'll be fine. I drew a a rebute rebuttal rebute metallic metallic rebute, and I was like, okay, that's kind of annoying. It's shut off from Teferi. Mm-hmm. but the only plays I really had left were like my removal spells, which I then had to start main phasing, and then you know I like replayed my Emory and. Use some removal spells occasionally, and then like my opponent played the first creature that mattered, which was a the two-one that locks out my Emery, <laughs> the artifact creature. Oh, uh, Phyrexian Revoker. Yes. So my opponent revokers my Emery. Mm-hmm. And then my next the next three turns that I have are main phase because of the Teferi. Yeah. Point a removal spell at your Revoker, and it gets Fail vale of Summoned. Oh. And I have like more removal spells in my hand. And, but then these guys are like more more counter spells, and you can't respond. But I'm just locked because Ugh. I can't respond and kill it again with my other rule spell because he has Teferi out. Ugh. and then I'm, I can't do anything on his turn. So I just have to wait to my next turn. Okay, try again, main phase, and just three three turns in a row is just yep. of Summer, draw a card. That's <laughs> just crushing. <laughs> no, I mean absolutely. Ugh. Like if you want to, yeah. if you want to beat this deck, right. Like devoted Druid with a Teferi in play yeah. is. Is right. gonna no. My opponent had a brilliant plan, um, yep. and I'm sure that they did their homework over the you know over the the evening after you know we had our deck tech and our deck was everywhere. Yeah, yeah, just had an excellent plan, and you know boarded appropriately. I think a lot of people boarded inappropriately against our deck. <laughs> um, but what did you see in in particular that just was, like wasn't good? Like rest in peace effects mm-hmm. and stony silence effects. Anything that's not like proactive is mm-hmm. just playing into our plan. Yeah. You're just like giving up a card when you play one of those. I mean, if you have a proactive plan and you're backing it up with a collector oof, do you do you really think that's just a bad thing to do? Or... I mean, collector oof is like the best of the bunch. Because mm-hmm. if you can play it early, then maybe it shuts us off of some of our mana and then we can't like do everything that we want to do. But it's just a card I'm just not sad to see a, a majority of the time. Yeah bet like uh, the only reason I would really bring it in is to shut off engineered explosives if you are a deck that is bad against engineered explosives makes sense. but if you have any other sort of like proactive plan that that doesn't involve these like hate pieces, mm-hmm. you're better off just ignoring them but like humans should bring it in probably um yeah hu- uh, yeah humans should have collective because because of the eE thing mm-hmm. for sure but like my I had one um crabvine opponent like a mulligan to uh, like three. Or four, and one of the cards that they kept was a leyline of the void. Oh, so they they just had nothing. Yeah, they, and they just like got completely ran over. I mean, you have combo in the deck, but mm-hmm. it's literally one sword and one thopter foundry. Like right, yeah. I think that the main reason that they decided to play it was because the best way to beat that deck is the cryptic l- loop with um, mystic, mystic sanctuary. sanctuary, yeah. Or Emery looping Nile spellbomb. Yeah, yeah. So, so that both of those kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, like maybe you're bringing that in just so that that makes it more difficult. Because like, you know, if you're just putting a million power on the board, the only way that our deck can win is by um, cryptic locking, like yeah. cryptic locking you or comboing. Mm-hmm. So it does stop both of those things. So I kind of get it there. But if you're mulliganing low, you probably shouldn't keep it. Yeah. in your hand, stuff like that was happening a lot. Yeah, I I played the Vengevine deck this weekend and. I mean, that's the thing—is you really can't afford to react to anything that your opponent is doing. Yeah, like in just a lot of ways, both in deck building, sideboarding, and mm-hmm. in, in gameplay itself. Um, each time I played around a card, I got hard punished for it. Yeah, and I think. Yeah, I think that you're just supposed to. Play the deck, and probably also mostly sideboard, and build the deck as though your opponent's cards in their hand are just blank pieces <laughs> of cardboard. Honestly, I, I think that's a, a really good standpoint. And I was actually having that exact conversation with the dredgevine guy that I played latest in the tournament. Mm-hmm. I was sitting next to him throughout most of the tournament, and and he was playing really well and drawing really well, and mm-hmm. like clearly crushing the tournament because of that. And then I played against him, and then uh, you know I was able to beat him. You know he like jammed into a metallic rebuke. Mm-hmm. And I had it. And I think that's probably why I won. And then after the match he was like, Yeah, I've learned like pretty early on testing this deck that you just can't play around anything. No. And he was playing that entire tournament just as you said, like his opponent's hands were blank cardboard and, and that's probably just like what he had to do. And and I think that you gain I mean, you you don't gain percentage points, but you refuse to lose the percentage points by yeah. slowing down your velocity in the times that they don't have it. Right. And you know, like I I played a game I played a match against I thought it was regular Valakut at first until he cast through the breach on turn three Mm. of game one. But I slowed down my game plan a little bit because... And I I don't think necessarily that this was an incorrect play. Because I had mulliganed and my cards... My relevant spells in my hand were a crab and a stitcher supplier. Yeah. And so you don't play the crab on turn one. Yeah. Because you need two creatures and you don't get an extra mill by playing the crab on turn one. So you hold it for turn two. But two things like number one i drew the second crab on turn two so that's like a hard punish mm-hmm. for not putting the first crab into play and then it also turned out that he was not playing scapeshift he was playing a race card deck and he <laughs> threw the breach. he threw the breach to me and if yeah. if i had played that crab on turn one i may have had enough velocity may have gained just enough life off of creeping shells that i could have finished him off sure but i you know i was. did just you play a the on turn one no, because I didn't have another a, creature to, to hold trigger, trigger. Vengevines. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and I, I just didn't have access, unless I was lucky enough to hit the Gravecrawler, which maybe, maybe that would have been the right thing to do, would be play it and hope to hit Gravecrawler because I have nine mills. Mm-hmm. But regardless, like, I'm never going to play this deck <laughs> again. It was <laughs> the most frustrating tournament I've ever played. Yeah. No, I, it was the deck I play I tested most with, mm-hmm. um, and I was almost locked on playing it. Um, I just kind of had the last-minute audible. I'm really um, glad that you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you... Like, everybody I've talked to that ended up playing that deck, um, you, Oliver Tomiko, mm-hmm. um, felt pretty bad about the deck post-tournament. Yep. It, um, it's just variance, like, compounded on variance. Yeah. And none of it, like, really favors you. Yeah. You have to have a pretty good starting hand with lands and mm-hmm. mill sources, mm-hmm. and you put away your, like, graveyard active stuff. And then... You have to hit good things with your mill. Right. And a lot of times your mill is like, all right, Merfolk Secret Keeper, I hit one grave crawler and I don't have a zombie yet. And it's just like, I spent a card and a mana on this. Yeah. What am I doing? Are you creeping chill yeah. and you hit, or you, you, you glimpse the unthinkable and you hit a creeping chill and a narc Amoeba and it's like oh my god i just spent my entire second turn on this in modern and yeah there are the game there are plenty of games where you really hit and you really go off mm-hmm. but the combination of like you have to mulligan really aggressively and then you need You have to mulligan as though you're Tron, but you need more resources than Tron, because you need to hit enough land drops to trigger your crabs, and you need to be able to cast double creatures on your Vengevine turns, and sometimes, like, those things just don't quite add up super Mm -hmm. neatly, especially because you have so many dead draws in your deck after mulliganing, like, you just can't rely on drawing anything because you have prized amalgams and Narcomoebas and Vengevines to draw, Mm -hmm. so... Because there is no way to get those cards out of your hand and get extra looks at stuff with like a careful study or faithless looting type card, I think the deck is fundamentally flawed right now and needs another piece before it can be seriously considered again. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree with all that for sure. I think Evan put it really well when he said that you, there's just like not really much play to this deck and you mm-hmm. either annihilate your opponent or you have n- you no chance. do anything. Yeah. Yep. Right. You're Absolutely. like, you're kind of like, uh, in that regard, you're kind of like Neoform. But instead of, like, a 60%er uh, that is really hard to hate out, you're, like, a 45%er that's yeah. easy to hate out. <laughs> you just get <laughs> by an anger of the gods yeah. nut draw. Right. right. And, and the thing is, like, your nut draws aren't. Exactly. Neoforms, yeah. nut draw wins the game. Yeah. This deck's nut draw. I've n- I've nut drawed several people t- in testing right. and just, like, whoops, their amulet, and they had two amulets, so I still lose. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. here's a through the breach on turn three, and you're dead. Right. It, the payoff just really isn't there. Um, yeah. that's a lot of talking about a deck that i recommend that you don't play <laughs> but uh the deck that we recommend you do play if you can yeah um so mid- i mean midranger is it. mid is so this really is kind of a jund deck and it looks like the thing that really like allows it to exist is you know we, we've said before that emery is death right shaman yeah and, and death right shaman was always a jund card right this this mid rangeers deck is it's kind of silly because it doesn't really have like a like super weak cohesive like plan mm-hmm. other than just like playing a bunch of broken cards next to each other and it just so happens that. They all work pretty well with Artifacts. and Yeah, and they all work pretty well with Artifacts, and they all work pretty well together. Mm -hmm. And that just, like, kind of leads into this culmination of just, like, this big monstrosity that you you (laughs) can't repeat. With Oko Um, just patching up all the holds. Oh, yeah, right. And then, you know, sometimes Oko just wins on Oko by Oko alone. (laughs) And, like, whenever you play a turn two Oko, it doesn't really matter what format you're playing in. It's just really oppressive. You know, so we get to play those broken cards stapled together. We get to play, like, Thopter Sword Combo, those broken cards stapled together. We get to play Cryptic Command and Mystic Sanctuary, those broken cards stapled together. We get yeah. play Artifacts and Mox Opal, broken cards. We can play Emery, another broken card. It's just, every card in this deck is so insane. <laughs> and it lends to some nice plays. I walked over <laughs> and I saw Jeremy playing against Jund. Yeah. Uh, and he just, like, had no hand, had a bobble on board that... He had just chosen not to crack for a while, Mm -hmm. drew a fetch land on his turn, fetches Mystic Sanctuary, puts a Cryptic Command back on top of his library, cracks his bauble, draws the Cryptic Command on his Jund opponent's upkeep, and just kind of can never lose the game from there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and so, like, you know, that came from him knowing the deck well enough to not crack that bauble there because he knows any fetch land he's Mm -hmm. really going to want that bauble draw. Yeah. And it just kind of put the game away. His opponent was going to cast a chandra on that turn he had been not cracking his nurturing his his peat land so Mm -hmm. clearly he had a four drop to play yeah and jeremy saw that like took that line held up cryptic and just like won from there Mm -hmm. yeah yeah mystic sanctuary is not not okay (laughs) like it's just another card that they probably like push the boundaries with a little bit too Mm -hmm. much and yeah it you know just being able to put, like, we're on top of your library or yep. Cryptic Command on top of your library. Yeah. Just, it's just so oppressive. And the number of times that I, you know, like, fetched that card out and my opponent just, like, got really sad and, like, scooped the next turn. Because you know? it turns <laughs> your dead draws into a thing. You yeah. just drew a land. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. It's pretty wild. Um, and it it also gives you that redundancy. There are different amounts of combo in different lists and stuff. Mm -hmm. The most common was you're running one of each, right? Sword and and Doctor foundation, Yeah. And yeah, I should talk about that because that was like the the biggest debate leading up into the tournament is that Zan was very adamant that uh, the combo was what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And Abe and Edgar did not like it. So they kept on debating back and forth between whether or not you should have the combo at all in your deck. Yeah. And through that conversation, they convinced the pro combo members to go down to just one and one Mm -hmm. Because their main argument against the combo was, like, well, if you just draw one half, it does nothing. In hindsight, I think that it would be better to have two. So moving forward, I think that we're going to likely cut the spell bomb for... Uh, for the second Thopter Foundry, it's just it's just really nice to have access to that card, and it that card is like just pretty good on its own sometimes. Yeah, right. Sometimes you just toss away an, an astrolabe you just, and like, a food. And... Yeah, and just like occasional one ones. Or I guess you can't and... sacrifice a food, but but stack you know throw away an astrolabe and and whatever and block. Right. And... So yeah, and it, it does work like pretty well with just like kind of the random artifacts you have floating around, and sometimes those one ones like represent a, an additional turn. Mm-hmm. So and the number of times that you can like. War for it, um, sack something, chump block, fetch, put war back on your library, and then you have the combo. Yeah. It's just, right. you know, really insane. And that's what I was going to say with the mm-hmm. redundancy point, is like, you don't want to run too many War of Invention. No. But if you have Mystic Sanctuary in your deck, then that means that drawing one War of Invention, mm-hmm. if you've decided that comboing is the correct game plan for this, mm-hmm. for, for this game, then... Yeah, and by drawing Mystic Sanctuary, I mean drawing a fetch land. <laughs> so yeah, then then you just get to do it, and right. you get to say my this draw step and my next draw step are the two pieces of the combo. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't have Urza, if you're playing against humans or Death Shadow or Burn or something like that, then that will still win the game. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and there's just infinite synergy in this deck. Mm-hmm. Every piece works with the other pieces that you wouldn't imagine that it would. Yeah. It's it's pretty like. Um, Emery and Bobble allow you to like just immediately get the next like the card that you fetch on top of your library. Mm-hmm. Emery can mill your words and cryptic commands so that your fetch lines turn into another spell. Yeah. Um, just like all these like tiny little minute synergies that add up to just being a powerful deck. Yeah. 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 And you never everything is so cheap. You know, your, yeah. your cryptics and urzas and okos cost mana. Right. Everything else is free. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spell bomb was was pretty good for me. I uh, it won me some games that I don't think any other card would. Sure. Um, and especially with Emery, you know, being able to recur it is like This is Aether nice. Spell Bomb that you're talking about. Yeah, we played a main deck Aether Spell Bomb. Yeah. Very, very good against Gurmag Anglers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And specifically against Death Shadow, them casting Team or Battle Rage is one of the more frequent ways that you lose. So just like having your spell bomb just out. Yeah, and like sometimes you even just decide to take the hit or whatever, but it just means that you can't like die to a TBR, which is nice. Right, and it's on board, so it can't get stubborn denied. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, really important. And against other Death Shadow decks that are running green, mm-hmm. it's not blue, so it works through Veil of Summer. Right, so yeah, that's that's all pretty a pretty nice package, um, if you're going to be playing against that kind of deck specifically. So, yeah, combo. So you're definitely on board with the combo plan going yeah, forward. Yeah, in hindsight, I think it was right. And Abe came back around onto it at the end of the tournament. And, you know, scoreboard. Uh, <laughs> the three of us who made top four were all on the combo. <laughs> Fair. It's definitely good in the mirror. So it was, well, that's actually debatable because um, I think that Jeremy and Sand cut it in the mirror. Really? But Abe and I loved it in the mirror. Yeah. Which was kind of weird. I think, no, I don't know if Sand was cutting it in the mirror from um, what i saw for some of the mirrors i was watching it really was a lot of times about like one player was threatening to combo and yeah that was going to end the game when it happened yeah. and that right you know would just cut off all the avenues right the mirrors can really come down to two ways of playing out and from what i could tell either One player snowballed out the other one by in classic Oko fashion of resolving an early Oko or like an early like big threat. Mm -hmm. Um, Cards that can snowball like any of your threats can snowball like Emery snowballs, Oko snowballs, Mm -hmm. Urza snowballs. If you can land one and your opponent doesn't have an answer to it. Yeah, you're going to be in a really good spot. But there's this, like, weird, like, dynamic where you can't just, like, land something and then, like, have your opponent have the opportunity to play an Oko and, like, plus on it or, like, have an Oko and play and steal it. Steal your Urza. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. So so the snowbally games are definitely, like, you know, one of the elements. And then it really comes down to, like, 3-3 beats more often than anything else. Mm-hmm. And when there's, like, Okos on both sides of the battlefield... You're drawing threats and resolving them is good, not in the sense that you like have a threat, but in the sense that you have an extra three-three, and your opponent is down an additional three. <laughs> Landing like resolving an Urza in the mirror when both players has to have Oko on the board. It's not like I have an Urza's now. It's more like I have two three. I have threes. a three three, and you don't. Yeah, because I you had to plus on my creature, and then you didn't have to plus on your own creature. It's pretty wild, right? So you're <laughs> you're really just like trying to make sure that most yeah. of the pluses are targeting your stuff. Yeah, yeah, so and then those three threes end up like you know controlling them. your opponent's Oko mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, the, you really just need to navigate it so that there's no opportunity for them to steal your Urza. And then, yeah, 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 for sure. And then the other way that the games play out is that neither player is really doing anything Mm -hmm. and both players are representing counterspells Mm -hmm. and then you both get to four mana and you both have crypt command and you're just like passing every turn because you just can't like (laughs) cast any spells. And then, and then you're playing like kind of a control mirror where you like can't really tap out and land drops are super important. And if one player gets head on lands, they're just going to snowball out the game because then they can like, as soon as you get to eight mana, you can, you know, oko with counterspell back up. You can kind of cheat the system a little bit if you draw a metallic rebuke, but I ended up cutting the metallic rebukes post board just because they go dead eventually. Very frequently, the games get to this point where we're playing Drago and mm-hmm. then you can blank them. I mean that those mirrors look pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely very skill intensive. Um, I'm right now planning on playing the deck at the Invitational because I just don't see any reason not to yet. This, yeah, th- this feels like when Jerry T. And those guys like put together Grixis Death Shadow mm-hmm. and then it was just the best deck in Modern for eight months or so. Yeah. Individual cards didn't really fix matchups. It was only really like when humans became a thing that it was like, okay, well now now we can beat Death Shadow yeah. consistently and we, yeah. we can push it out. This feels like a deck that doesn't get hated out by cards, has if people really want to beat it, they have to switch the deck they're playing into one of its handful of bad matchups. Mm-hmm. And I, honestly I can only really think of like one bad matchup off the top of my head. Devoted Druid is like the only deck that I'm sad to see across yeah. the table from me. Everything else is feels really fine. Like yeah. Infect maybe, but I still think that your Infect matchup is fine. Just I think post board you have so many tools. Right. I mean I think Infect is is pretty tough, but certainly looked reasonably beatable uh like when i i think i saw like lee play against and it just looked like he didn't have a chance whatsoever but um that's in fact yeah like that just happens sometimes tron felt okay yeah tron felt okay um definitely one of the worst like like maybe 50 50 i would imagine yeah but if you can just force them to play a fair game by resolving a damping sphere then the game becomes suddenly about blast zone and oblivion stone mm-hmm. and you have to play through those and it, but if you learn how to do that then you're going to be really well set up yeah to win because you can just get to the point where you um, like have some form of pressure mm-hmm. and a cryptic command up and yep. then you're set and having access to combo also lets you win a bunch of games that you're not supposed yes. to win yeah combo makes that matchup much easier for sure yeah. um yeah I played a pretty sweet game against Tron where, um, and I, you know, I got pretty lucky, uh, to win, but, um, I Metallic rebuked their Sylvan Scrying to put them off of Tron and then resolved an Oko and I had an Emory in play and, uh, I was able to like keep on checking the top of their library to see, uh, if they were were going to make Tron land or not. (laughs) Because uh, they were stuck on just three Tron pieces with a duplicate, mm-hmm. and they they played a Oblivion Stone out, and every turn I was just able to be like, "All right, do I need to plus on your Oblivion Stone and turn it off, or do I need to <laughs> make my own thing a three three and beat you down?" <laughs> so, so that was fun. That's great. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, Mistress Bobble turning into like a I get to see all like because I know that their hand is just like all meat, right? Yeah, and yeah, you know yeah. they they hit their fourth land, which was a um, uh. Like some some land that didn't matter. It was like a Sanctum or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, then it's just like every turn I could be like, all right, you know, I I can know exactly what to do on my next turn. That's really cool. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, so I'm definitely planning on playing it. I am going to try to get as much practice with the deck in as possible Mm -hmm. over the next two and a half weeks or so. Because it does not look easy to play, and I would like to be as competent as you, possible. With it. Yeah, I did not have a lot of reps going into this tournament. Mm-hmm. It didn't really matter, <laughs> but it will matter in the future. It will matter more because people are going to be prepared against it, and you're going to be playing a lot more mirrors. So, and I played like pretty bad at, with my first <laughs> tournament with it, to, honestly. So, I, yeah, I definitely recommend getting some reps with it. Yeah, I, I definitely will. Um, as far as standard goes, I. <laughs> Don't think we need a super in-depth discussion. Standard is pretty rough right now. Yeah, standard sucks. The Field of the Dead ban, unfortunately, backfired pretty spectacularly, given the results we've seen so far. Yep. Primarily, we have the MCQW weekend, or I guess that's the MCQ weekend weekend, to say it that way, but... uh, (laughs) What? The the Arena (laughs) Mythic Championship Qualifier weekend. When is that? That was this past weekend. Oh, okay. Um, Oh, I missed it. Well, you were, you were busy making the <laughs> I was the busy qualifying for the Pro Tour anyways. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I keep forgetting. Like, I keep, like, realizing that you did. But congrats yeah. on... Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that exciting. Sick, especially given the announcement today. Which was... Partial invites. Oh, right. Yeah. So, just getting to the, the Pro Tour actually... You know, this announcement today basically is that if you do well in a GP or a Pro Tour... Uh, And by do well in a pro tour, that means finishing over 50%, over 500 in the pro tour. Uh, If you do well in a GP, that's uh, 10.5 or better. You get some percentage of a partial invite. Like 10.5 gives 10% of an invite. They really should just call these points. You get like 10 points and then you get a qualification at 100, but whatever. (laughs) Sure. So like 10.5 is is 10%, 11.4 is 25%. And as long as in... Each like season is a quarter of the year. Okay. And as long as you get a hundred points over the course of like two seasons, then you're qualified for the next pro tour. So it counts like this season and then the season before to add things up. Sure. So you really only need to get a hundred points every like six months. And as long as you're getting like fifty points each season, then you stay qualified. Yeah. So okay. cool. That seems pretty doable if you get on the PT. And have a decent finish, a decent finish sure. go to a GP to make up the extra points, you know, however many GPs you can make it to, like, in one kind of fell swoop, it looks like, and we'll see how this played out, how this plays out, but it looks like they did a pretty big number on my criticisms of, number one, that getting close doesn't do anything, mm-hmm. you know, if you 12 through a GP, you don't get anything, Right now you do, Yeah, and also... Like there's a, there's a train now Like yeah. you can stay qualified, just yeah. perform reasonably well. You don't have to, you don't have to re-qualify every single pro tour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's I'm a, cool. Yeah. I, I'm, that, that has me really excited. Yeah. Cause the, uh, that circuit definitely needed some sort of injection and this is likely what it, I'm crossing my fingers that this is what it need, did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a little bit easier to parse, a little bit neater than pro player levels, I mean, all it is is requalifications, but that's the main thing we were asking for. So yeah. should be cool. And, and this looks like a route by which, especially given like the fact that each time one of you guys makes the finals of an <laughs> open, you just get on the tour for a little bit at least. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've been doing plenty of that. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really excited. This really makes those qualifications much more meaningful. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm pumped to watch you guys out there. That That'll be sick. Hooray. However, back to standard. Ah, yes. So. Back to the sad things. I know, the sad things. Looks like the banning of Field of the Dead backfired pretty spectacularly. This uh, MCQW, the day two deck lists. So just to sort of break this down, there were 102 players who qualified for day two of the event. Mm -hmm. 68 of those decks were food decks. Yep. So we're at about 70% of the format, the winning format, being food-based decks, the vast majority of those that were successful were Sultai versions of the food decks with main deck Noxious Grasps and Vraska Golgari Queen, because those are the only ways to kill Oko. (laughs) Wild. Now on Ladder, I have seen some people being very successful running Sultai food with main deck Noxious Grasps and main deck Veil of Summer Mm -hmm. to fight their opponent's Noxious Grasps. Yep. The thing that's really scary to me is that these decks are getting so inbred to fight each other, and they're still not getting beaten by other stuff. Yeah, and I've heard that as the experience of many players, is that they were like, all right, yeah, we tested a bunch of decks specifically designed to beat the food decks, mm-hmm. and we still lost yeah. like 50% against the food decks. And and that feels really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I thought maybe Selesnya Adventures... Maybe Esper Dance, Mm -hmm. one of each of those in day two of this weekend. Yeah. It's just, that's just not the breaking thing. The only deck that had an actual representation as a deck such that I wouldn't qualify it as a fringe deck, given these numbers in any other format, was Green Black Adventures. And that had like eight or something like that. Yeah. In day two. Because it can also main deck Noxious Grasps. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. See, and that kind of highlights the problem that I've always had with the design philosophy of hate cards mm-hmm. in that way where they exist to push back against something like this happening. Yeah. Where these cards need to exist in order to hate on like one specific card being too powerful and taking over too much of the format. Mm-hmm. But when that card then becomes as necessary as it is to become a hate card and be main deckable, mm-hmm you're going to have an issue no matter what. So that card's existence doesn't really solve the problem of our threats being too good. Yeah. Right. The ones that I really like are stuff like the defeats from Amonkhet. Sure. That or from Our Devastation, I guess. Because the idea behind those are like, well, this black deck is getting too good. So it's going to have to dedicate a bunch of space to these black answers to black cards for the mirror. And then sure. hopefully that weakens itself in, the, in, in other matchups. Mm-hmm. But when your deck is as powerful as... I will always mulligan such that my hand produces turn two Oko or turn three Nissa. Yeah. Then things kind of fall apart a little bit from yeah. there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's pretty wild because like even a noxious grasp isn't a pure answer to an Oko. Mm-mm. You're still leaving behind something on the board. Right. Yeah. Either they were able to turn something into an elk, which is good for them, mm-hmm. or they were able to make a food. Which is marginal, but you're still down value in the exchange. And that makes the next Oko much better if there's a food sitting there. Right. Or, or yeah. a wicked wolf becomes much better. Yeah, if it's a food. just it's just worth like almost a cart in a lot of contexts. It's like energy mm-hmm. where, you know, you're just like, ah oh, yeah, it doesn't matter what happens right. with this creature. You always had to shock the servant of the conduit. Yeah. And you were always fine with your servant of the conduit getting shocked. Yeah. Got this two energy and that's another spin or or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think that's kind of problem like, fundamentally part of the problem. You know, N- N- Nyssa, if you not just grasp it, you're down a 3-3 in the exchange. Mm-hmm. It's just bad. Yeah. So we'll see. I think that that is going to be the majority of the time here. Pre-invitational is going to be spent trying to figure out if there's any other way to approach the standard. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty willing to hard target the food decks with whatever deck I'm going to be playing. I'm just not totally sure that that's possible. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be working on it. The Lotus Box House is going to be doing its best to fight against the evil menace. Yeah, but I queued up a couple matches with blue-white control because I believe it has the tools. Like, one of the main things, one of the main problems about the food deck is that post-board, their access to Veil of Summer negates a lot of stuff you can do to answer them, Mm -hmm. and Veil is just so powerful. Um, I believe having access to Teferi is about the only reasonable way to combat veil of summer yeah and so blue white control looked pretty nice i know some people have been having some success with it the problem is i just don't think that i can test that deck efficiently i i queued up and immediately played against the mirror and game one was like 25 minutes Mm -hmm. and then i just scooped the match because i didn't want to spend time (laughs) i honestly just didn't want to spend another like 25 (coughs) minutes playing the rest of the match out sure And then I played, like, two matches against Green White Adventures and, like, easily won. Mm -hmm. But it took so long that, like, I don't know that I can put the work into this deck. It just takes so long to play these matches. Yeah. Anyway, so that's standard. We're going to work on it and hopefully find some way to exploit these food decks. Mm -hmm. But they're really powerful. Yeah. It's not great. Pioneer, though, is kind of a bright, <laughs> shiny new light. On a, on a lighter note, yeah. Pioneer. Pioneer's fun. I'm very excited about Pioneer. Yeah. I feel a little bad personally because I don't really get to play any Pioneer at the moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, that PC yeah pioneer that would be I, I love that idea so much yeah i would love for either the invitational to swap one of the formats to standard specifically to mm-hmm. to pioneer or for the players championship to include pioneer in some context i feel like the that players championship has enough lead time mm-hmm. that they can do that a little more reasonably than yeah. the envy yeah um it's yeah. non-zero that that will happen yeah i know that for a fact cool but, but it depends on a lot of other things that you know yeah, we don't really have any control over it, so. Yeah, absolutely. So we just got to cross our fingers cuz that would I, would I would be very inter- much more interested in watching that. Yeah. Because we know that the next ban and restricted announcement, we know that it's not coming before the Envy. Mm-hmm. They said that they would not ban anything. I guess it's possible that something gets banned before the PC. So, sure. But if it doesn't then boy, it would be nice to watch some Pioneer instead. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, there was a gigantic deck dump. 137 lists in the 5 dump. People Sweet. are really excited about this format. Yeah, I scrolled through and tried to get an idea, but that ended up with me just like control effing for like <laughs> cards that I wanted to see if people were making anything happen with. Yeah, 137 is a lot of decks. Yeah, yeah. and other... Other podcasts are going to be going over every single one of those lists, so I don't think it's important for us to do that. Um, I know Ross and Tannen started a podcast within minutes of the (laughs) announcement of the format. (laughs) But what I do think is worth taking a look at for us, because we can parse it a little bit, and it is indicative of results in a way that 5.0 lists are not, is there was a Pioneer Challenge this weekend. Yeah. So... Somehow, like, those lists aren't really showing up anywhere parsed, so I went ahead and, like, broke down what the top 32 was. Mm-hmm. The highest representation within that were different versions of Sihili, Feladar Guardian combo. So nine of those in the top 32. Okay. So I think our prediction that this is going to be the early, like, easy-to-build, powerful deck, mm-hmm. it's pretty clear that this is just a good, powerful thing to do. Yeah. Over twenty-five percent of the top thirty-two. There were uh several in the top eight. But the other ones are a little bit maybe not surprising, but good to see these like different archetypes that are not just like two-card combos or whatever. Yeah. So the green ramp decks, actually there were six of them in the top thirty-two, and that's the second best performing thing. Okay, nice. There's a huge variety of like ways to get payoffs from here, mm-hmm. but the core is always Eight one mana elves. Yeah, Leyline. Yeah, Nissa. Okay, Nick those. Yeah, uh, Oath of Nyssa is probably in all of the decks too because you can't play mm-hmm. Nick those without Oath of Nyssa. Right, it's just able to make a tremendous amount of mana very very quickly. Not surprised to hear that. You know, Green Devotion has been a very dominant archetype throughout this standards history over the course of these sets. Mm-hmm. So. And, and, and it gets Nissa now. Yeah, and and you get the <laughs> a Broken planeswalk. You can untap your Nykthos with your Nissa. Oh my god. So what are the payoffs people are going for? I'm going to take some guesses. Okay. Ulamog. Sure, yep. Okay. That's, although not as much as I would have thought. My initial like brainstorm versions of these decks was like, you probably just run like four Ulamogs, right? Sure. But that's just a little bit too, like Nick- when you're just on like mana elves and leyline, like you don't quite get to 10 instantly. Okay um it's not yeah 10 doesn't is not like a nice curve number right like i know i'm gonna get to this on turn three or whatever if you untap with nisso in this deck you will cast you will be able to cast sure yeah yeah but you know that's a little tough right but yeah definitely there's some ulamogs in almost every one of these 75s Mm -hmm. somewhere okay finale of devastation seems to be another good one is that the green one yes uh and that Appeared in one of the more interesting versions of this, which was an elves list mm-hmm. that just also had Elvish Visionary, Elvish Clan Caller, uh, had Rishgar to turn those bodies into additional mana sources. Okay. And when you have Leyline of Abundance out and you Rishgar, <laughs> Rishgar is a ritual that turn. <laughs> that's hilarious. So that's pretty powerful. Yeah. They had Finale, which served a couple of different roles. Like you tutor up a Rishgar or... You cast it for a- 12 and your opponent dies. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's one of them. Okay. Keep going. Oh, man. I don't know. Outside of those, uh, what are big things that we want? So think X spells. So like Finale of Devastation serves this role where, you know, it's good kind of regardless. As long as you've ramped at least a little bit. Okay. It's doing a thing. Okay. So commonly green X spells. Uh, are people like Pelucronos? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, There's actually oh. a lot of Pelucronoses in these lists. Okay. And um, so uh, Travis actually had some... Uh, pioneer decks with him yeah i I got to jam some games with russell lee and which was really fun uh i actually hadn't really gotten to hang out with russell before this weekend but yeah he's great he's gas (laughs) yeah and you know like i played i tried to play like the season's past deck that was like an edgar list and really just did not like equip myself very well playing that against the pioneer (laughs) uh wilderness reclamation deck yeah yeah (laughs) but then i switched over to a mono green deck and it just felt smooth and clean and powerful, and putting putting threats into play that were just incredibly difficult to nice. deal with. Okay. You you are definitely right to like lean towards X spells okay. that are just like scale really well with however much ramping you've managed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Pelukonos does a great job of that, especially because one of your primary openings is Leyline Manadork. Mm-hmm. You untap, you have four mana. 5-5. Five, five. Play a 5-5. Five, five. Like, <laughs> that's the funny. time they spend dealing with that, yeah. then you get to do yeah, other yeah, yeah. stuff. Cool. And then other X spells, uh, you can splash blue for Hydroid Crisis. Sure. And that is, obviously, that's classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, And, you know, it's best friends with Nyssa. They're, like, magnetically attached. <laughs> so if you ever untap with Nyssa, you always have a Hydroid Crisis <laughs> to cast. Yes, confirmed. Also really surprisingly good. Maybe not surprising. The card's been good in every format. Okay. A Walking Ballista. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it it's great in mirrors, sweep their elves yeah. so that you're the only one with elves now. Mm-hmm. Um, it also does a great job of sitting there and keeping you from getting cat combo Classic. So, yeah. Walking this I think, was initially, like, the best answer to uh, cat combo in right? standard. That's so. why it first started appearing in Mardu vehicles. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this answer is cat combo. I guess I'll play this. And then it just turned out it was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the you know there's a bunch of different ways to get to the payoffs, but we're always starting with Leyline, Nick those elves, both mm-hmm. Nyssa. just got to figure out which threats are best for the meta. I saw one list that was running like three Hornet Queen main deck. Um, All right, but I just don't really want to start out with that defensive. It of sounds a like a sideboard card, right? Yeah, Hornet Queen doesn't do much against a lot of these combo decks. Exactly. Yeah, like. I want to be ready with, like, here's an Ulamog, or, you know, here's a Walking Ballista that will kill you next turn, mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is. So. It's interesting how a lot of the best threats mm-hmm. are, like, reactive in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, Walking Ballista can answer other things, and yeah. Ulamog, like, kills two things. Well, and even crisis um, says, like, you're not going to burn me out on your next turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Flucranos yeah. wipes your opponent's board. Yep. Um, so that's interesting. That's yeah. Right. Uh but those I was really, really impressed playing. I was very impressed with Hydra Crisis mm-hmm. uh and with Walking Ballista. So okay. cool. Sultai is the go-to like reactive deck. Yeah. There's a couple of ways to build this. You can build like a relatively creature-heavy version that's doing Grimflare stuff. That version looks bad to <laughs> yeah. me. Okay. You can just play a bunch of really good spells in Sultai. Mm-hmm. And you can play I think that these lists mostly do and should have four jace friends prodigy in them mm-hmm. um and that's really really good it's really really good especially because you can go thought sees into jace friends prodigy or fatal push into, or fatal yeah right 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 <laughs> yeah so being really spell-based with fatal push thought seize jace friends prodigy abrupt decay or assassin's trophy as appropriate mm-hmm. uh oh go, and it's just a good deck yeah with a lot of great spells and uh, you get to run some amount of dig through time in it because you're spell heavy and loot heavy enough to do that. Solid. So Love to see it. You have to run a broken card. <laughs> yeah, You right. Yeah, definitely and, a requirement for all these decks. But it has access to both Oko and Dig, so... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, like, the fair decks do have those tools to mm-hmm. say, here is an, a super powerful, like, ban-worthy card. Sure. So you don't need to be doing an unfair thing to keep up with the power level of the format is is one of my main takeaways from this this <laughs> tournament. Ooh, one archetype I have questions if anybody's tried out is the first thing I was thinking of was uh, some sort of heroic build. There was one heroic list in this in in this challenge. Actually, I probably should just pull this up. Um but yeah, definitely there's some powerful stuff going mm, on. Cuz we have there. Th- everything from Theros and everything from yeah, like, the more recent era- like Feather. So here it is. Um, just solid red white deck ordeal of Perforos. i don't even know what that one is oh no why does it's, the, side the, work like it's this? the red ordeal that bolts something yeah it bolts something okay i just have always seen other ordeals in the yeah, heroic yeah, decks yeah. um normally you get the divination ordeal um right or the 10 life ordeal for the mirror or yeah, whatever. right right i like, don't really like this build but i think that there's something here i think that it is very silly to have I think Dreadhorde Arcanist is one of the best cards in the format. Mm-hmm. One of the best early threats. Okay. And I think it's unlikely that this deck is supposed to have two of them <laughs> sure. in it. Yeah. Uh, and, and only two Feathers is also interesting. Yeah. that Feathers may- a little slow. Feathers are a little slow. Yeah. Especially when we get to play things like Favorite Hoplite and Montessori spear yep. those, those are the cards I want to play in this deck. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because fundamentally, you're a, an aggressive beatdown deck. Right. And you have like a lot of card drawing with your Defiant Strikes and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, t- this deck also gets or Battle Rage. Oh, yeah. We get TBR and Titan Strength. Yeah. That's like the combo of old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely stuff, powerful stuff going on here. Yeah, cool. I just want to talk about Dreadhorde Argonist for a minute. Sure. I think it's good in a deck like this, mm-hmm. but I think you can really build around it in other ways. Okay. I have been really impressed. I mean, I've mostly just seen lists of this, but I've watched a couple of streams and watched some games. Dreadhard Arcanist with a Tarka's Command in a Tarka Red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a couple of creatures out, ideally a couple, like a prowess creature or two, Mm -hmm. and you're Dreadhard Arcanist. And you cast a Tarka's Command, which pumps the Arcanist, double pumps your prowess guys. You attack, and you get to do that again. Yeah. And each of your Tarka's Commands hits them for three. No, yeah, for sure. I was going to say, that card, a target's Man is, like, the best card to cast twice yeah, for free. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, I learned that the, like, last week in Battle Box when I played against Jeremy, <laughs> because I had the... It's like a three-mana shock, but you can flash it back from your graveyard... To copy a spell on the stack. Yeah. And I had a target's command in my hand. And I just killed Jeremy out of nowhere. Right. Just by double Anthem, my team, six you. Ugh. And that's it just infinite damage. Yeah, it's yeah. so much. And with Dreadhorde Arcanists as, like, a fine threat in your, like, eight-shock deck, mm-hmm. or, you know, if you're a prowess deck, then it's flashing back crash-throughs and stuff, just drawing cards as it attacks. Mm-hmm. I think that any... Aggressive red prowess deck that's not doing Atarkas Command Dreadhard Arcanist is probably doing it wrong. Interesting. Okay. Because that has just looked so unbelievably powerful to me. Yeah. Um. Other cool things that you can do with it are if you're going to be more mid range and treat it like the kind of threat that it is in a Delver deck, you obviously need to be black because all the reactive decks have to be black. But Fawcy's Dreadhard Arcanist is excellent. Yeah. Fatal push Dreadhard Arcanist against creature decks is excellent. I'm really interested in... There, there's a list in this dump that's like a, a Grixis list with Dreadhorde Arcanist and Jace Friend's Prodigy and those cards. Um, I'm really interested in trying a couple of Claim to Fames in a deck like that. Sure. Because you can bring back... Your threat package is some combination of Dreadhorde Arcanist, Jace Friend's Prodigy, Thing in the Ice, Young Pyromancer, mm-hmm. and... Those are all great to bring back. Some of them are very good to give haste to with the Fame half, and giving hate, giving plus two plus O oh to the Dreadhorde organist means you can cast whatever out of your graveyard. Yeah, like that is a sort of reactive deck that I'd be interested in in checking out what it can do because yeah. that seems fun and powerful. Also. Um kind of surprisingly three is it phoenix decks in the top eight of this challenge really yeah wow so no more in the top 32 but they all kind of like rose to the top here they are heavily based on i think the play pattern is often like turn two is it charm to discard these things and then turn three cast a bunch of shocks and a lightning axe and whatever um are they playing haggle yeah, most of these lists have two okay. haggle in them. From what I've seen on Twitter is mostly people saying, like, I don't think that you're actually supposed to run haggle. You're actually just supposed to run four lightning axes in your deck Ooh, because okay. the I format is creature heavy enough that you should have access to that kind of removal. Yeah, and then you get to play things like Fiery Temper, yeah, which can act as another one, right. which is really nice. And this format is at a power level at which Fiery Temper is actually... Mm-hmm. It looks very good. I mean, it. it's been successful in good modern decks before. Mm-hmm. You know, those modern formats were, I'm sure, more powerful than Pioneer, so. Yes, yeah, and, and and I think that the correct build of this deck at some point probably is running four Lightning Axe, four Fiery Temper in it, mm-hmm. um, because that's an easy way. If your turn two is it Charm, your turn three, it's very easy for that to be Lightning Axe, discarding Fiery Temper Play another one mana spell. Get yeah. back the phoenixes that I put in my graveyard. Yeah. Um. Man, Pioneer looks so sweet. I, yeah. I you know, I'm kind of sad that I haven't been able to uh, <laughs> to really dig my hands into this yet. But, yeah, you will. You know. I mean, you're qualified for a Pioneer Pro Tour. Am I really? Yeah, it's the first Pro Tour next year, Ooh. which is the one you're qualified for. All right, okay. So I, I do need to f- keep my finger on the pulse. Right, then. so you All will right. need to do some serious testing, and I will be happy to assist you with that, because yeah, this sweet. looks really fun. Cool. The broken card that you get to play in the Phoenix decks is Treasure Cruise. Yeah. So, you know, it passes that test. You gotta have that little checkbox (laughs) filled. Yep. And I think it's great in this deck. The lists that I've seen have all had three Treasure Cruise, but honestly, like, my lists would absolutely start with four, and then if that's too much, pull back from there. Mm -hmm. But you have a million ways to discard cards. If you have an extra Treasure Cruise, you can just get rid of it. (laughs) Yeah. And you always want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, it's just so frequently the best card that you can draw. Yeah. So and, and that's the thing that no Phoenix deck that I've played has had access to is a reload. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this will do it. Sweet. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to try these Phoenix decks out. You get the ability to sideboard some reasonable answers, mystical disputes, spell pierces. My you... prediction for why there are so many Phoenix decks in the top eight of this tournament is because it's just the best cruise deck. Yeah, I... I... That makes a lot of sense to me yeah i think cruise is definitely a card that i'm going to want to explore a lot of and you know it's the reason that it's kind of it kind of feels fine in pioneers because there's just no ways to like really turbo it out and abuse it mm-hmm. but this deck might just be able to you know yeah if well built do just that if you're running all of these charted course is it charm thrill of possibilities lightning axes mm-hmm. like you can put cards into your graveyard just don't run haggle, It doesn't go to your graveyard. Yeah, I think that that honestly is like a big reason why <laughs> yeah. it's just not that good. It just exiles right. itself and sits there forever. Yeah. And that's not not what you want to be doing. Lightning Axe serves a lot of purposes in this format. Yeah. Early removal against the aggressive decks, kills Felidar Guardian, kills the threatening early creatures. Like, you don't want them to untap with Fren's Prodigy. Yeah. This solves that problem. Yeah. So, you know, playing a little extra removal is I, I think I think this format is very creature-based from from the lists that I've seen. A little bit. And and Lightning Axe kills a lot of them. Mm-hmm. The coolest deck that I saw in my perusal of the deck dump, and I'm kind of excited because as I was like mentioning Pioneer, Jeremy brought this deck up like <laughs> okay. all on his own. Yeah. So uh there's a Soul Flare deck. Oh okay so you get to run uh grizzly salvage and gather the pack Mm -hmm. to find your soul flare and dump cards into your graveyard okay The there are two different lists there was one that was super all in but there's one that was much cleaner and like straight green black the only card that you just can't cast is Zatulpa primal calamity (laughs) yeah yeah so this is (laughs) if you didn't play much of that limited format (laughs) had a lot of keywords on it yeah this is actually a a good card in that limited format that I killed a lot of people with. Oh, yeah. Uh, but this is an 8-mana, 4-8, Flying, Vigilance, Indestructible, Double Strike. Yeah. Put those keywords onto your Soul flare, You're getting there. Mm-hmm. Put those keywords with Questing Beasts, Haste, and Death Touch on there. Ooh, you just have them all. You really just have them all. Deck is also running Sylvan Karyated for Hexproof possibility, which, uh-huh. you know, I think against a deck... That hexproof is really important against. So you can play slow enough to well. And get Car- that. carriage is just a good card. It's just a good card, right? right? And murderous rider is a removal spell that also, when you dump it in your graveyard, gives your guy life against the aggressive decks. Mm-hmm. So, as I was looking at the list, you know, I like had some problems with card choices initially, but then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this this list is really clean. Like yeah. there's a lot of good stuff going on. That's awesome. It. Yeah, yeah. I think that that definitely qualifies as like. One of those, like, fringe archetypes that, like, tried to make its way into modern. Mm-hmm. Like, there are a lot of, like, cards like Soul Flare that, like, sparked ideas for new archetypes that fell a little short. Yeah. I think that if we can find, like, more of those archetypes and really flush them out and pioneer, that could be a really like, yeah. interesting, you know, way to go. Yeah, and there's just room for that to happen, and, and that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, my main problem with it is against any Oko deck, you have to get the Hexproof because getting your soul flare turned into an elk is like that's your whole game plan. Yeah. So you may need to indestructible look... doesn't mean much <laughs> no, when you're just not that creature anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you may want to Actually, how does soul flare work? I wonder if you keep the abilities as th- I assume you don't. But if it's like a There might be some weird layers issue. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure I assume that you're... it's going to lose all abilities and that's just I would assume that. Yeah. I-, I believe, but it changes like the printed text of the card. So if it's like some lasting triggered ability kind of thing or something like no. that. But that's just not Yeah, I mean there are weird layers of things that happened with elking things. Like right. if you if you turn a Mycosynth Lattice into an elk, mm-hmm. the Mycosynth Lattice itself is a 3-3 green creature that's mm-hmm. not an artifact. Everything else is an Isn't artifact artifacts? and colorless. <laughs> Still. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So it's it's pretty wild. That is pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, I I assume Soulflare gets turned into a three-three, but that's worth looking into before sure. we like. Yeah. you know, get too mad about it. Sometimes the layers can really mess up what you believe should be happening in, right. in a game of Magic, so... Um, but yeah, like, my main thing that I would try <laughs> probably look into doing with the Soul deck is try to squeeze some more Hexproof guys into there mm-hmm. somewhere. And I don't know if there's anything that's playable other than Sylvain Carriottet. It's... I mean, people were looking for those in the modern version. Mm-hmm. It's a stretch. There were... A couple of boggles decks in the dump mm-hmm. because there's uh yeah what are our boggles the there's the green one so there's not actual slippery boggle but there's the you know one green mana one the elf yeah and i don't know why i can't remember its name but we've got that and we've got like a two mana two one hexproof okay and you know lots some of enchantments yeah just enchantments some yeah. lifelink ones there's an armadillo cloak yeah in so but you know neither of those are so we have Glaive Cover. Glade Scout. Cover Scout is in Pioneer. That's the one drop that is that is okay. available. Do, and do there's we have no. Daybreak Coronet? We do not have Daybreak Coronet because that was reprinted in Modern Masters. Right. Okay. Cool. Cool. So, no Daybreak Coronet. So yeah, you don't have the broken card. There are some sources of life, like you know, if it's just like the format is a little less powerful, so you don't need to be quite as bonkers on your thing, and you know, you you put your Glade Cover Scout into play, you pump it up a little bit kill their planeswalkers with it, mm-hmm. screw up their game plan, then go after their life total. Like, Do we have back... Rancor? No way. We don't have Rancor, no. Yeah, I'm not sold on on Boggles and Pioneer, but... The broken card in both Boggles and in the Soul Flayer deck is Once Upon a Time, which I think... Sure. You know, I guess that qualifies. It's not quite a Treasure Cruise, it's not quite a Sahili combo. I'll give you partial credit on your broken card box. Yeah. Check. Yeah. So Soul Flayer to me feels like it's probably like a post after like one round of bands it mm-hmm. might be a deck that that is really worth looking at sure but it is a sweet deck that i'm <laughs> I'm interested in yeah no soul Flayer seems pretty sweet boggles not so much no not really interested in boggles <laughs> i just you know I, when we were on the topic of hexproof I thought oh sure I yeah yeah definitely looking for hexproof guys for the soul Flayer deck is a little rough so yeah and then a bunch of one-offs in that challenge mono blue devotion vampires uh we talked about heroic spirits uh there was a mono white humans list and the main takeaway from that i think is that we have an infinite number of two power one drops (laughs) that are humans in white or black (laughs) okay uh, however you want and that's also the takeaway from this vampires deck like any Whatever the optimal number of two power, one mana guys mm-hmm. in a monocolor deck is, you have that number. Cool. Um, and in the humans deck, or in the white deck, they're all humans. Yeah. And you get to run, so you get to run Thali's Lieutenant and have it be good. Do we have Champion of the Parish? We do not have Champion of the Parish. That's original Innistrad. Okay. So that's, you know, a little unfortunate, but there's... Not a huge deal. There's plenty of decent one drops. Yeah. The biggest pickup for the deck, I think is Brave the Elements? Oh yeah. So So you okay, so it's like it's just a white weenie brave deck. Yeah, it's it's not humans in that cuz you don't have Thalia, you don't yeah. have the disruptive elements, but you are a very fast, very consistent white weenie deck. I think you can you can run venerated Loxodon on if you want to. Nice. Uh Benelish Marshall is a human mm-hmm. and just Brave the Elements to protect from red sweepers, protect from targeted removal spells and get through any number of lockers. This is for those of you who don't know, Brave the Elements is one white mana. White creatures you control gain protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. Sure. And just the application of that card, it's just it reads like, okay, this is one of those one white mana like protect your guy spells. But the application of it is just extraordinary. It's very powerful. Can Merfolk exist? Did it five O? There's probably one in the five-o. This this dump is 137 lists, <laughs> but I am not gonna try to play Merfolk in this format. <laughs> That's fair. So, well, nice. Yeah. Do we want... I don't think I put out a call for Patreon questions, unfortunately. Okay. We do a chat question. What do you think the ETA is on a uh, Jace Friend's Prodigy ban? Um, Basically... In, in Pioneer? Basically, every fair deck that I've seen is based around Jace Friend's Prodigy, and it is... It seems to be the best way of just, like, getting card advantage from being on board and having interactive spells so i don't know if it's going to be banned at any point but it's very very clearly one of the best cards in the format Mm -hmm. okay and for an actual question how do you handle a weekend where you have a bad magic time you are not coming off of a bad magic time weekend i'm not having a bad magic time weekend for sure yeah i mean you know that one's rough i think it's a pretty like personal question that i think everybody has different coping mechanisms for stuff like that and everybody has a different relationship with magic Mm -hmm. for me personally lately it's been pretty rough for me to have bad magic experiences because it's not limited to that weekend. If you don't get the points that you need, right? Because of the PC race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I have been talking about a little bit lately, you know, just with people is that my typical coping mechanisms for not doing well in magic mm-hmm. have kind of been broken down <laughs> yeah. by this PC race because, um, you know, typically I like to view everything as a learning experience and i'm just along for the journey even when i have like a bad result or like i play poorly and i feel bad about that i can always just say you know hey like this is all just one big journey and stuff and it, it while it that is still true with player's championship mm-hmm. um it, it's just so clouded by every result matters you know and i just like it i have a hard time processing that stuff when like i notice that i like didn't put in as much work as i should have leading up to an event and then it results in me having a bad event mm. and then it, you know it's just like a bad cycle yeah for me rather than that just being like okay i need to not do that in the future right like it really cost you yeah that weekend right so that's you know so i've been leaning back on some of my older poor coping mechanisms uh-huh. and that's not good uh <laughs> um (laughs) what do you mean by that i i'm an isolationist okay just getting stressed out and yeah when i when i run into stressful situations like like that i don't can't really handle i run away from them and everybody in my life yeah uh, and that's not good um and uh you know and my team actually just a lot of transparency right now on the podcast but my team was actually talking to me about that uh this past week Mm -hmm. and it's been a problem where you know, they were like, Collins, we haven't really uh, interacted a lot with you lately. What's going on? You haven't been reaching out. You haven't been talking in the group chats. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, yeah, it's because I, I isolate when I'm feeling bad about stuff. Gotcha. That's me a little yeah. bit. <laughs> well, no, like, I appreciate you being so so honest and straightforward about that. That's that's yeah. really tough. And I certainly don't have any way to just, like, sit here and give you helpful advice. I'm not, I'm not looking for advice on that. But, <laughs> no. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, that's, that's really hard. And it's so easy to otherwise say like you know take every magic tournament one at a time you're not going to have a good weekend every time because that's just not how magic works and you need to you know we've always said like find external things that will always go well or are very likely to go well and use that as like your reason you know go hang out with your friends have a good you know have a good dinner and uh yeah make sure you're having fun playing magic and that sort of thing I think that probably, yeah, that's probably the best answer to Lee's question here is that if you're having a bad magic time, Mm -hmm. look for good times in other elements of the trip. Yeah. And I mean, I did have a bad magic time. Like I just did not win very many matches on the weekend. You know, I I was dead for day two before the last round of day one. And I played kind of played my silly deck in standard kind of knowing that it, it wouldn't do so well, but also just like had some really rough beats on the day. And, you know, it bummed me out and it did kind of affect me. And I really didn't feel great about the weekend, mostly. But, I mean, watching you guys succeed was very nice. Yeah. Uh, Being able to, you know, and I, I really wanted to get out of there. I wanted to get home. But being able to listen to the stream while driving and just like you guys were doing great. That was really that really helped the weekend be kind of worth it. Yeah, and just did did spend some time hanging out with friends, hung out with Lee a lot, and that was all great. So it's a good time. The good takeaway from this weekend is we got a broken modern deck, and <laughs> we're gonna keep yeah. keep working on it. And I'm definitely going to do my best to be able to play that in the Invitational. That's a takeaway. Yeah, um, and I know never to play this Vengevine deck. So learning experiences, lesson learned. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's tough. I mean, losing. It's so easy to say, like, don't let losing affect you. Everybody loses a magic. But losing affects you. And you lose a lot and learn how to deal with it. But every match that I lose, I am at least somewhat disappointed that Mm -hmm. I did not win that match. If I play badly, I'm disappointed that I didn't get... That I didn't do the things I needed to do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If I play really well and just, you know, variance gets me or if I play really well and my opponent still just plays better than me and outplays me, like, it's hard to leave a match that you lose and just dust yourself off and and pick yourself right back up, like, and then the higher the stakes are, I totally feel you there. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to the PC race to be over, Um, you know. (laughs) One way or another. It's coming with too many costs that I don't like, and it it does, it, it is hurting the elements of magic that I want to enjoy the most. Yeah. Um, which is the process? Yeah. Like I've always preached not being results oriented, but and when the results matter this much, yeah. But now, I, and now I care about a result, and I can't. I I just do. I just care about it. Yeah. So, um, and I don't think that is an unhealthy thing. Do you know? I mean, this is putting you on the spot. But do you know if there's another way to deal with this, like going into the race for next year, or? Do you, are you just kind of banking on like maybe I just won't be this live for the PC at the end of the year, so I don't have to worry about it as much? Or, you know, what what are you thinking about like trying to make this a little better next time? I think that I'm likely going to go going to go through the same process that I went through for individual Magic events, mm-hmm. but now on a larger scale, because okay. I kind of had a similar process like playing just playing in an open. Mm-hmm. Is that when I first started playing in opens? And I first started getting really close. Mm-hmm. I started carrying way too much. Gotcha. And the, the, before I had any success. And I went through a lot of like struggles and I, you know, didn't process losses well. Like individual match losses well. Yeah. And all that stuff. And the more tournaments I played in, the easier that got. And then I did have success. Mm-hmm. And the more success I had, the just kind of like diluted out those like individual stressful moments Gosh. of like losing a match and not being able to handle it well. So if you can stretch that out so, and yeah. have all season... So if I can look at my season like an event, yeah, or my year like an event, mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, once I do have success in that, or just, you know, like have enough failures to be able to... Have perspective. Have perspective on it, mm-hmm. I think that'll help a lot. I'm definitely noticing that my uh, experience with this PC race... Is very similar to um, yeah. You're playing a win and in for your first open top eight right now. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's taking too long. <laughs> yeah. It's just a forever <laughs> and long. it's drawn out and it's not just over in one weekend. So it's it's so much more amplified than sure. um, than anything else because you know because that stress that you feel in between rounds of like a tournament that you're really stressed about. Mm-hmm. That's just my life now. You know. Yeah, that's just and like I come home from an, a weekend and you know, did I get enough points this weekend? Who yeah, who has closed the gap? Who's right, jumped in front of me. Yeah, like, just you know, all of that stuff. And then, um, you know, like that really bad feeling that you have, like in the moment of, like, one match Mm -hmm. where you, like, you you lose a match and you, like, punted it away or whatever and you, like, feel really bad about it. And you have to, like, go and sit on your own for a little bit. This is me. I, like, have to go and sit on my own for a little bit and Mm -hmm. just, like, kind of think about it and process it. But then, like... And then the next round begins and I can, like, you know, get back into it or whatever. But here you're home for a whole week. But, yeah, but I'm home for a whole week and I, like, had a shitty weekend and, like, you know, and I have to, like, be on my own and process that. But it... It's just so much more amplified. Yeah. And it does also like create some negative, just like negative feelings, negative ways of approaching magic, like where you're, you end up rooting against people who you like and are friends with just because they're really close to you in the race. And you're just like, I can't yeah. like, yeah, it's not okay for Harlan to get points this weekend right. or whatever. And that's like, not, not your relationship with these people. Yeah. Just earlier, I, you know, decided that I didn't want somebody in particular to come and stay with us for the week leading to the Invitational because they were a direct competitor with me. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that sucked. That sucks. W- it really hurt. And it's not how, how we that. want to yeah. approach magic. Because these are, these are my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, but the fact that I care so much about the PC race is like warping my perspective and, and maybe I'm in the wrong and maybe I am like choosing this PC race over my friends and that's a bad thing. And I like, shouldn't be doing that. Maybe. I, you know, I made, I made that decision and it, you know, uh, that was the stance I took and my, my team backed me on it. And, um, you know, here we are. Yeah. But, I mean, um, maybe, right. Maybe you don't make that decision in the future. Maybe you. Think maybe you decide that it was the right thing to do after right. all. I mean, that's just one of those things. And maybe, yeah, no maybe clear... in hindsight, I just recognize that, like, you know, hanging out with that person is more important than qualifying for the player's championship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hope that in the future I have that perspective, but in in the moment this time... Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot... I just want to say... There's just that. a lot riding on this. The equity in it is huge. The visibility is huge. The, you know, if, if you're trying to do it, which you are, Yeah, I, I totally understand. Right. So... Yeah, so we got really deep into it on that one. I'm sorry. It's okay. For making you lay your soul bare here. Look, I, I you know, I try to be transparent always, so yeah. some insights into my struggles. Yeah. I mean, this is tough stuff. This is Yeah. This is quite a spot. Um thank you to everybody for sticking with us through all that. Hopefully I mean, I I think that was really good. So <laughs> Okay, good. Honestly. Yeah. Um I hope I hope you guys can get something from that segment. Sure. Um, I hope I wasn't too much of a downer. I I mean, I think honesty is really good. And I think yeah. not a lot of people get to experience this sort of thing. And so sharing, honestly, mm-hmm. what it is, is, is pretty important. Yeah. Um, that's going to do it for us today. It's important to remember through all, all of this that magic is fun. And, you know, I don't think you stopped having fun playing magic this weekend just because there was a lot riding on it. So... Fun more like in, like, the way that skydiving is fun. It's like a huge adrenaline run. Okay. I mean, that's its own thing. That's its own experience. (laughs) So, like, there's, there's the whole sports thing where, like, I was very, very serious about running when I was in high school and in college and stuff. Sure. And every weekend I would have a race and I would like really feel awful the night before the race because I'm anticipating it and how hard it's going to be and how hard I'm going to have to work and like how how like what is going to happen in that race the day of and I would just be nervous and just not feeling great and almost stick to my stomach and then it would get to race day and I would go to the bathroom like eight times before the race and then I'd go do the race and then getting into the race and doing it and like Every time that you're just like pushing yourself and like succeeding, it's just this incredible like feeling of competition. And like now I'm like glad that I am not doing the stressful parts of that, but I am missing that like my week is focused around this thing. And this is the most important thing in the world to me. And I'm going to work as hard as I can at it because it matters so much. Um, and certainly sometimes playing magic way, like I do get a similar feeling to that, but I, I do want to say like when you're in it, it's really hard to like see past the stress of it, but this is kind of formative stuff and it helps you figure out who you are. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. We, we really appreciate you coming and hanging out with us. If you would like to lend us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash or head straight to our website, mtgrandcast.com. Uh, We've got links to all of our episodes, links to Collins' coaching services. If you want to find us on social media, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast, and the podcast Twitter is at MTG underscore grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter at Collins Mullen. Um, Again, thank you so much, and have a great week. Peace.